Okay, welcome back to session two. Um, I feel like it's been a really long time since we were here, and also like a minute. I feel like I didn't sleep very much. I don't know. Madeline, where's Madeline? Where is she? Madeline is like 10, 15. She's like, good night, everyone. And I was like, oh, wow, like she actually believes in formational rhythms. Like I'm going to go to bed at two. So um, we like gave this big talk on, she wasn't even here for it, but she's practicing. Did anyone like actually sleep well? You're like, yeah, this is about what I normally get. Grace? Okay, Kyra? Okay. Wow, okay, more than I thought. I'm starting to feel worse about the fact I didn't sleep very much. But hopefully you guys are kind of like, you got some coffee in you, and you're like kind of coming, singing a little bit, like coming back alive after the blob. Who is sore from the blob? Can we just... <laughs> Alec this morning was like, ah, ah, my legs, my legs. It's just like straight calf raises for like 30 minutes. That's what I did. So, with the speaker. So, it was awesome. It was awesome. Okay, so today, this morning, I'm going to be talking about the second of our four things, but actually the third. Because first week we talked about gospel centered life, and like that's what I spent the whole time on Thursday night talking about gospel centered life. I never said that, but that's what I was saying. Um, and then we talked about formational rhythms last night. Um, I am really grateful for the way that that idea has started to shape me in ways that I have not, like I didn't realize when I came to college how important those things would be. So um, today though, we're talking about commitment to the church. Um, when we were sitting in our staff meeting, we're like, okay, we know we're going to have these three topics for a tree, and like, we're going to do missional living after this. And I was like, I don't know if we're choosing, but I want commitment to the church. And like, Alec and Drew, you guys can take whatever you want, but like, this is the one I want. And Alec was like, I want that one. And I was like, I said it first. So here I am. Yes. We follow the rules. Um, so I'm teaching commitment to the church. And the reason that I really wanted to teach commitment to the church is because I, in all of these at some level, I'm really passionate about this, but I think that this has been so formational for me. Um, and so I'm excited to get to see, um, just to talk about it in a way that actually is like encouraging. And like you said, like each of these things that we're going to talk about are not like one more thing. I hope you don't feel like you walk away from this retreat like, well, now I have this long spiritual to-do list. Like, I hope you feel encouraged um, to grow up in Jesus. So, whenever we say church, that, like, word alone carries a lot of different things. People, we might be saying the same word, church, but a lot of people are thinking different things. Maybe you've had different experiences with the church. Um, some good, some bad, maybe some in the middle. Um, so, I want you to talk to your neighbor for, like, 20 seconds, not very long. Um, if somebody, I don't really think aliens are real, but if an alien came and they walked up to you and they're like, Adam, what is church? What is the church, a church? Like, explain to the person next to you what church is, and then we'll talk about it. So, 30 seconds, go. 20 seconds, actually. <laughs>
have to record the whole thing. Just the not the whole thing. Okay, start to bring it back, start to bring it back. Okay. Let me hear from somebody in each section. So middle section, get ready. You guys have a lot, so maybe two from you. Okay, somebody from this section. Alien comes. What is church? What do you say? Anyone? All right. Um, I'd probably first explain the universal church is just the community of believers around the world. Uh, mm -hmm. Those who would proclaim Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. There's the local church, and I'd explain the local church, which is more regional district communities come together to worship Jesus Christ and to learn more about God, Jesus Christ, and his teachings. Okay, who wants to follow that? <laughs> Anything that you're like, I need to add this. <laughs> Gavin's like, okay, I can't get past the alien part. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> They're like reviving him. Nick? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about like you're talking about kind of like this concept of like people everywhere, and then people locally, and then you're saying like they meet together. It doesn't necessarily have to be like the building the church. People can meet in houses. Anything else from this big middle section here? Like really important things we need to know about church. Hold on, Abby. Um, you're up. Um, Yes, good. Gathering. Gathering is really important. Okay, anything from over here? She might have one up to you on that. She said sacraments. That's I mean come on, that's like that's that's like a flex. Well done, Amy. Amy's an intern, sacraments. Okay. We are gonna talk about we are we're gonna talk about sacraments. Those are all really good things. Um, so a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what church is, and so I'm not actually going to spend a ton of time here, um, but they're important to clarify, because what I've heard people say, and maybe you've heard this too, people think they're talking about church when they say things like, yeah, like I meet together with a bunch of guys in my dorm, and we have a Bible study every week. When I was an intern my freshman year, I lived in Minneapolis, and there was a bunch of people from my work that got together, and they just read through Hebrews, and then they would talk about it. It's like, this is awesome. Is this church? It's a good question. Um, I've heard people say, I listen to sermon podcasts, and I watch church online. This is my church. Are they right? They're hearing teaching from the Bible. I've heard people say this. Um, I go to the table every Thursday, and I'm part of a table group. Like, I'm in community. Right? So the question is, are those things church or not? Because according to some of the things we talked about, we talked about the gathering of believers. That was happening in that group in Minneapolis for me. Um, we were knowing each other and being known, and um, we weren't baptizing or any of those things. Um, is listening to church online the same thing? As being there? Are you part of the church if you listen online? Um, all of those things are awesome things. And actually things that I would encourage you to do. Almost all of those things. 
Um, but none of those things is actually church. Um, there's four things that make church, church. Um, so Austin talked about the universal church, that this idea that all believers um, all over the world, no matter where you are, if you believe in the person and work of Jesus and have responded in faith, you're part of the universal church. We say the capital C church. Um, but when we talk about a local church, these are the four things that need to be happening in order for it to be a biblical church. So the first thing is that we need the teaching of the word. And what's important here is that this isn't just discussion-based. So whenever I was in that group and we were discussing Hebrews, there was like, it was me, I was 19, and a bunch of other 20-somethings, we were just talking about Hebrews. And I remember people saying things, and I was like, you know, I honestly don't know if that's true. Like, maybe. I don't know. Like, I haven't really studied that. Sounds a little weird, but I don't know. We're just discussing. And so it's, there's a difference between just discussing the word, which we need to do and what is really important, and then there's a difference between someone teaching the word with accuracy, doing the study to make sure it lines up with what the church has always taught, that it lines up with what scholars know about the historical context, all those things. Um, so the teaching of the word with accuracy is the first thing that makes a church a church. The second thing, this is really important, is qualified leadership. So, again, this isn't just a group um, of college students having a Bible study. There's no leadership of that. Even if there's somebody who's over that, when we talk about qualified leadership, we're really talking about elders in the way that um, Titus 1 lays out the qualifications of an elder. Um, and it's not just like whoever has a charismatic personality. It's not just whoever is good at speaking. It's actually what kind of character does an elder have, the ability to lead a church, to protect the flock. And this is really important because these elders are in charge of church discipline. They're in charge of caring for the flock, pastoral care. And then I would say, maybe most importantly, that they're in charge of safeguarding the doctrine. So the elders of Sunnybrook... More than Jim, more than Ryan or Justin or Drew, they are in charge of making sure that what is being taught aligns with scripture. So if there's an issue, we go to the elders and we say, yeah, Drew is teaching really crazy, like what are you going to do about this? And those elders are the ones who are in charge of making sure that the doctrine that's being taught is not just whatever Jim thinks is awesome, um, but aligns with the Bible. So that's really, really important to have qualified leadership. The third thing is fellowship, that there needs to be a spending time together. There needs to be a knowingness that we know each other, not just like, oh, yeah, she sits three rows in front of me, um, but that we know each other, we know what's going on in each other's lives. There's this um, accountability of confessing sin, repenting of sin, encouraging each other, living life together. Um, and this means that watching a church service online isn't church. As beneficial as that is, don't hear me say that that's not beneficial, you can't know someone through a screen. Like, you really can't. Um, and so, for a church to be a church, there has to be fellowship that happens between believers in that church. And then the last one that Amy hit on the head is rightly administered sacraments. So, we would say communion and baptism are the biggest sacraments. And the reason that you've never seen anyone baptized at the table is because the table is a campus ministry, not a church. 
So if you're interested in baptism, you haven't committed your life to follow Jesus, and you have conversations with us, and you're like, I want to commit my life to follow Jesus, like McKinsey, we were like, we're going to baptize you at Sunnybrook, not like in a kiddie pool at the table, because we believe that the sacraments, baptism, and communion are for the church, the multi-generational church, and that's why we don't practice those sacraments at a campus ministry. It's not the same if you just, like, grab a saltine and, like, you're like little juice box at home and take communion. That's not the same because it happens in the body of believers. So those are the four things that you need um, for a church to be a church. So we have teaching of the word with accuracy, qualified leadership, fellowship, and rightly administered sacraments. So that's really important. That's, that's the church that we're talking about right here. Um, so... Why care about the church? What is the importance of the church? I'm going to tell you two things. I'm just going to go ahead and spoil it, and then I'm going to try and prove my points to you. One, the church is important because our call to follow Jesus is a call to the church. I'm going to try and prove that to you. So if you don't believe me yet, that's okay. And then the second thing I'm going to tell you is that you are a gift to the church, and the church is a gift to you. So... Why is the church important? Our call to Jesus is a call to the church. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, if you have them. If not, I'll still be reading it, so it's fine. Ephesians 4. We'll be in a couple different spots um, throughout Ephesians 4, but I'm going to read these first. Make sure I don't lie. Six verses. Actually, does somebody with like a loud reading voice want to read? Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Yes, Alyssa Miller. Is everybody there? Almost there? Stand up for the reading of God's word. Yes. Thanks, Alyssa. Well done. Okay, so I've read this passage a lot, and I've, I think I've even heard sermons about like living worthy of the calling um, that we've received from Christ. But as I was reading through this, I felt like an idiot because I realized I don't know if I've ever seen, this is, I'm just going to out myself here. I don't know if I've ever seen um, how Paul, writing to the Ephesians, connects living worthy of the calling that Jesus has placed on your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, how he connects that to life in the body. Like, that makes sense when I say it, but I don't know if I've ever seen that. So this is, this is really kind of crazy for me. This was, I was like, wow. Um, so he says, live worthy of the call to follow Jesus. He says, basically, love one another, have humility and gentleness. And then he reminds them of these core truths. He goes off on, like, if you're looking for repeated words, the word one shows up all over this text. I have like little circles, like one, one, 
One, one. I was like, okay, I can't even read now. There's so many ones. Um, he says that you have one body, that is the body of believers, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So if you notice, Paul puts the body of believers, the church, right up there with all of these other things that are central to being a follower of Jesus. He says, um, the spirit, I would say that that is super important to be <laughs> born again by the spirit. That's super core to being a follower of Jesus. He says, one Lord, that's, yep, really important. One faith, faith is by grace through faith that we've been saved, by baptism. I mean, like, these are big things having to do with the salvation of our souls. And right up there with the spirit and faith and baptism, Paul says, one body. One body. This, this is pointing to how important the church is to Jesus. When before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and he's on the road to Damascus and he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, so background, sorry, Saul is this crazy dude, and he's like a Pharisee, he thinks he's doing the right thing, he's persecuting these new followers of Jesus, he's persecuting the church, and so he's on the road to Damascus, he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, you're persecuting me. Jesus has ascended. Jesus is no longer physically walking the earth. And yet he says, you're persecuting me, Paul. So the connection between the church and Jesus is really, really deep and intimate. The way that the Bible talks about it is like marriage, that the church is the bride of Christ. It says that this is mysterious. It's actually not talking about marriage. It says that this relationship is mysterious because Jesus and his bride are so closely connected. Jesus says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. So when we're called to follow Jesus, we're called to be part of the church. You might be like, okay, I agree with you for the most part, but I have a question. This is the money-making question. Can I be a Christian without the church? I have answered this question a lot, or heard it asked a lot. So there's a lot of people who understand salvation, I would say in part, because like we just talked about, to be saved to Jesus is to be saved for the church. Um, but who believe in the person and work of Jesus, who are claiming Christ, and yet are disconnected from the church. So the question is, are they Christian? Are they saved? Um, we're going to come back to that, but first I want to talk about something I feel like that reveals the type of thinking that under uh, is underneath this idea. So... Just track with me, okay? I promise it'll come back around. Okay, raise your hand if you have ever heard of any of these three people. Okay, Meryl Streep, raise your hand. Kanye West, keep your hand up if like you know both of them. Um, <laughs> and P Diddy. Okay, okay, that's fun. How like some of you guys knew Kanye, but not P Diddy. Both rappers. Um, I've never listened to P. Diddy, but I know who he is. Okay, so these are three like pretty famous people, pretty well-known people. Um, they're like music artists and actresses, all these different things, right? They're celebrities. People just generally know who they are. 
So I've watched a lot of movies with Meryl Streep. I think she's awesome. But what I did not know is how highly educated these people are. Meryl Streep has three doctorates. Is that like Dr. 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 Streep? Like, I don't know. <laughs> if I had three doctorates, that's what I would make people call me. Um, she has three doctorates. And not just from like, okay, I'm not dogging Oklahoma State, but it's different to get a doctorate from Oklahoma State than like Harvard. I just have to assume... I've never been to Harvard, but um, I just feel like it's different. So she has one from Harvard, one from Princeton, and one from Yale. Like, holy moly, Meryl. Like, what is her student loan package like? I don't, I, I don't know. Kanye West also has a doctorate from the School of Art Institute of Chicago. P. Diddy has a doctorate from Howard University. I just want to say, like, I had no idea that these people were so educated. Like, this is this was shocking news to me. Like, I don't know if you've ever listened to a Kanye West song, but I wasn't like, a doctor wrote that. <laughs> you know? Like, I wasn't like, oh yeah, Meryl, that is a Yale graduate if I've ever seen one. Like, I just didn't think that these people were that educated, and it's not like a slam on them, it's just like, okay, it's kind of surprising. So they're educated, very highly educated. They have these doctorate degrees. But if you're like, this cannot be true. <laughs> this cannot be true that Kanye West um, has a doctorate. Or that P. Diddy, I don't know if you also know this, that he dropped out of Howard University. So they're highly educated, but sort of. Sort of. There is this really, I think, stupid... Thing called honorary degrees. Some of you guys are like, I knew it! I knew Meryl Streep was not Dr. 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 Streep. Um, they, ha they, they have diplomas. Like Meryl Streep somewhere in her house has probably three diplomas of doctorates. Um, but honorary degrees is this idea that universities just hand out the things that we worked our butts off for for four years, and they're like, oh, good job on that movie, Meryl. Here's a doctorate. Like, people are out here working for, like, years, writing their theses, and they're like, Meryl, you want one? Here you go. Like, Kanye, you want one? Peter, you dropped out? Here's a doctorate. Like, dang it. Like, is, all you have to do is write songs, and then you get a degree? I don't know. Like... That would have been simpler, I feel like, than going to class. Um, but, like, here's the thing. Like, they're graduates of these colleges. Like, they really are. Um, but in one sense, they're not at all graduates from these colleges. Like, Meryl Streep never was in a dorm room. She never ate ramen out of the microwave. Meryl never pulled an all-nighter studying for her test at Harvard or Princeton or Yale. She didn't build any relationships with professors or classmates or any of the things that mark a true college experience. So yes, Meryl Streep is a Harvard grad, but this is, this is where it's going to connect. Neither she nor Harvard got the benefit of a Harvard education for Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep didn't get any of the benefit of going to really hard classes and going through this rigorous training to get this doctorate. She didn't get any benefit of that. And neither did Harvard. Harvard actually, like, they kind of get to claim her, but she was actually never one of them. She was actually never part of them. So, yes, Meryl Streep is Dr. 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 <laughs> but really, she's just Meryl Streep, and she's an awesome actress. And 
In the same way, Christians who are not embedded in the local church, yes, they can be regenerated Christians by the work of the Spirit. But it's not at all the way that God designed it to be. And if Christians are not in the local church, they won't get the benefit of the gift of the church. They will not flourish the way that God intended believers to flourish. And the church doesn't get the benefit of them being a believer. So yes, they can be Christians, but it is not the way that God has designed it to be. Don't be Dr. 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 Street. You can just be a regular Harvard grad. Um, (laughs) The way that Tim Keller says it is very uh, concise. He says, you can be regenerated, that is, a Christian by the power of the Holy Spirit, and living apart from the church disobediently. But you cannot live the Christian life without being part of the church. Essentially, to truly follow Jesus in the way that God has designed is to be part of the church. And that is because our call, our call to follow Jesus is a call to the church, a call to be part of that. So what is the church for? We know, okay, I need to be involved in this. If I say I follow Jesus, then committing to the church is important. But what does the church do? What is the, the purpose of the church? The church does so many different things. But I guess if I could sum it um, up in more all-encompassing way, I would say that the church helps us grow into maturity. So one, our call to follow Jesus is a call to be part of the church, and the church helps us grow into maturity. Can somebody stand up and read um, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13? You can just do it. Is it the standing up? Is that what's intimidating? Thank you, Nick. Um, 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Thanks, Nick. Okay, so, um, what version do you have, Nick? Is that the ESV? ESV. Nice. Um, I don't know, you may have missed it. The CSB has it really clearly. It says, um, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. So before that, it talks about some are given to be apostles and prophets, evangelists, teachers, preachers, all these things. First note that that list is not exhaustive of the different roles within the church. Um, what you need to know is that if you are a follower of Jesus, born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift. Okay, so you have a gift from the Spirit. You might have more than one, but you have at least one. Um, and this is not just for those people who are vocational ministers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. And the thing is, in the context of the church, we as believers, with our various giftings, we grow in unity, and we grow in our knowledge of Christ, and we grow in maturity. That happens in the context of the church. Notice that these things that Paul's talking about, he's talking about some are apostles, some are prophets, some are evangelists. He's talking about all the saints, that we do this ministry together in the church, and that's how we grow in maturity. 
I'm going to say that this is, this is strong, but I think that this is what the Bible would say. I asked Randy, we were in our office, and I was like, hey, do you think that this is true? I think that it is true, but I just want to make sure because it feels strong. And she said I could say it. So um, you, <laughs> you cannot be a mature Christian without the church. She said I could say it. She said it's true. Uh, I think the Bible backs me up on this one. That to be a mature Christian, someone who is growing in the knowledge of Christ, growing in unity, to grow in maturity has to happen in the church. And I hope that when you hear that, it's not like, oh, fine, I'll go. Fine, I'll commit to this church because I want to be mature in Christ. This is a gift. This is instead of being like Lone Ranger trying to like figure out like, okay, I've decided to follow Jesus and now, now what? This is what the church is for, is that it helps us once we've decided to follow Jesus, and hopefully before that, being a witness to Christ. The church helps us know what it means to grow up in Christ. That's why you guys are here, right? You want to grow up in Jesus. How do I mature? The church helps us do that. It helps us grow in our knowledge of Jesus and into maturity, which is life in Jesus. Life abundant. Jesus said in John 10.10 10, that he has come to bring life abundant. To grow into maturity is not a chore. It is a joy. It's a gift from the Lord. And the church helps us do that. How does it help us do that? Jumping back to the four things that make a church a church. We grow in maturity when we sit under biblical teaching. We grow in maturity as we worship as we both witness and participate in the sacraments of baptism and communion, whenever we submit to leadership of elders, we are growing in maturity. When we submit to church discipline, when we serve each other and are served, we grow in maturity. When we're known and we're challenged to be holy, we're being encouraged by other believers, we are growing in maturity. When we talk about formational rhythms, these things help us grow in maturity. Talk about missional living. These things help us grow in maturity. And that Colossians text is that we would be able to come before Jesus and be mature in Christ. As measured by Christ himself. Which is a pretty high standard if you think about it. Um, The church helps us grow in maturity. And one of the biggest ways that this happens is through relationships and connection to older believers. So if you've hung out at the table for, like, more than this year, um, you may have noticed that we used to have five things. Now we have four things, and we changed the wording a little bit. This used to be one of our five things, connection to older believers. It was on its own. And so as we were thinking through this, it's not that we don't value connection to older believers. It's just that we realize that that takes place in the context of the church. And so it's a subset of being committed to the church. And we, this, is, this is really, really important. The Bible talks about this in Titus 2. Um, he says, this is, I guess Paul. Did Paul write Titus? Okay, that's good. Um, he says, you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. In the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the young women. Okay, so there's this pattern of 
those who are becoming more and more mature in Christ, that they are teaching and instructing and encouraging those who are further behind in their faith. We see this both with men and women. And college is this, like, really weird time where, like, you're deciding, I don't know, like, some of the biggest things in your life, like, what's my career going to be? What are my priorities? I'm setting lifelong habits. Who am I going to marry? Where am I going to live after this? And this is the time when we're like, let's just lone ranger this. I'm just going to make these decisions on my own. My 19-year-old brain is not fully developed, but I'm going to make these decisions, and it's going to go great. That is literally what we do in America. We're like, you're going to make big decisions? Why don't you just leave everyone who's made those decisions before you and could help you? Um, Bye, Mom and Dad. See you in four years. Let's see how this goes. Like, I don't know whose idea that was. I think it was a bad one. Um, I don't know. Don't tell them. Um, Drew has a saying. I think it's really funny. I think he said it, like, my freshman year. He was talking about this idea... And he goes, okay, so, like, you're making decisions. You're trying to grow up in Jesus, right? And, like, you, Adam, like, you're mature, right? Like, you're smart. You're wise. You're going to make good decisions. But, like, Max, Carter, your friends, like, they're idiots. Like, not you. Right, this is not Max. This is not Carter. But, like, in, in general, your friends, like, they're idiots. Like, you're smart, but, like, your friends are idiots. Max is like, no, I'll take it. That's fine. Um, and it's this idea that, like, we think we're good, right? Like, no, like, I'm wise. I know how to do life. I can do it. And in reality, like, we have no idea what we're doing. Like, 20-somethings, I don't care. If you're 19, you're 18, you're 22, you don't know. You, we need help, okay? I'm with you in this. I need help. I need people to help me. And the Bible tells us that we need people who are older than us, who are wiser than us, who have gone through the seasons of life that we've been through, who have been walking with Jesus longer than we have, to help us grow in maturity. This is true for older believers. Like, Drew needs somebody in his life to help him be a good dad. Randy needs people in her life to help her know how to be a good wife. All these things of how do we follow Jesus. Um, But when you're, like, in your 20s, like, we really need help. Like, Drew and Randy need help, but, like, we, we know. We need a lot of help. Um, we need older believers. So when we commit to the church, when we commit to growing in maturity in the church, this is going to carry on way past college. I have bad news for you. After college, there's not, like, a, like, I just graduated, I'm starting my first job group for you on Thursday nights. Like, you know what waits for you? The church. The church waits for you. The multi-generational church of young moms and old grandpas and all of these different, all these different people in different socioeconomic positions and different ages, all these things, like the church waits for us. And so that's what we're going to be spending the rest of our lives growing in maturity in. And so to not invest and commit to the church right now is a misstep. And it will have major consequences because when you get out there, it's the church that's waiting for you. We need to practice being rooted in the church now. Okay, last thing. You are a gift to the church, and the church is a gift to you. 
Later on in Ephesians 4.15, he says, But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes excuse me, the growth of the body for building up itself in love by the, work, the proper working of each individual part. Okay, did you catch that? He's talking about the whole body, and he says the whole body works best when each individual part is functioning properly. That there's a connection between the health of the body and the health of the individual. That those things go hand in hand. And so this first part is true that you are a gift to the church. And that is not to like, oh yeah, I'm so awesome. Like, I'm a gift. Like, I'm God's gift to you people. What would you do without me? Like, that is not what that means. So this is not like an ego boost. But this is because the Holy Spirit... If you are a follower of Jesus, has given you a gift. He has given you things that you're passionate about, things that you are um, skilled at, that other people can see that you are good at. And we need you to use your gifts for the church. Whatever that is. Like, you're super into tech stuff. Like, Lord knows we need you. People like Eli and Carter, like, that is not my gifting. And, like, we need you. We need you to help us. You are gifted in the arts. You ever been in like a really beautiful building? You're like, this is so awesome. Or you've been in a Sunnybrook's kids building? You're like, somebody painted these trees on the wall. Like, that is serving the church with your giftings. Maybe you love kids. We need you to serve in kids ministry. We need you to love and serve the church with your gifts and your abilities. Because you really are a gift to the church. And the church functions best when you are using your gifts for the glory of God in the church. You are a gift to the church. But on the reverse, the church is a gift to you. There are so many ways that the church is a gift to us. And we've talked about them, right? We've talked about that the church helps us to grow in maturity. It helps us know what does it mean to even follow Jesus in different seasons of life. How do I develop these rhythms that help me um, position myself so that the spirit can move and transform me? The church helps us with those things. But I think one of the biggest ways that the church has been a gift to me is this idea of knowing and being known, which some people just call relationships, um, community. And this of our five, used to be five things, now four things, is what it used to be called, commitment to community. And then we realized that that community is the church. So we, now we call it commitment to the church. Um, this isn't just knowing kind of at a surface level, like what's going on in people's lives. Like, I've had a lot of classmates that's like, yeah, I know your major. And I know that, like, you always have to ride your bike, so you always come in here and you're, like, out of breath and, like, and you're in a sorority. And, like, I know some things about you. That's not the type of knowing that we're talking about. We're talking about these deeper relationships to know what's going on with each other. It means that we share about hard things that are going on in our lives, that we're transparent about the things that we're struggling with. The things that are really exciting and awesome in our lives means that we confess sin and repent in the context of those relationships. It means that we reconcile with each other when we hurt each other whether that is unintentionally or intentionally. We reconcile with each other because of what Jesus has done. Knowing and being known means that we, 
make an effort to both know them. We ask them about, we ask each other about our lives. We spend time together. And then to be known by others. We have to be transparent with each other. The, the way the world does relationships is I'm going to give you the best version of myself and then everything else that's messy or broken, I'm going to keep in the dark. That is not the way the church operates. Because of Christ, because of grace, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we know each other and we can be known by each other in the church. And this is like, it sounds, it's, it's not easy, right? Committing to the church is not easy. And like Drew said, you don't just like try. You have to set aside like Sunday mornings, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be invested. Like I'm going to be in a small group, I'm going to serve, and it's going to require that I do my homework before Wednesday night at 6.30 so that I can be there and I can serve. This doesn't just like happen um, and we don't drift into maturity, we don't drift into committing to the church. But it's so worthwhile. Like what the Bible says is true, and hear me when I say this has been personally true for my life, that committing to the church is so worth it. Whether or not you have a family who are believers or not, the church really is your family. And so when you became a believer, you got the church. And now the church is there to support you and encourage you in all these things. And it really is a gift. Like few things have been as formational for me as relationships with other believers who are constantly pointing me back to Jesus. Few things have been as life-giving as confessing sin and to someone and feeling the weight of that and then having them remind me of the grace of the gospel, the grace of Jesus. Few things have formed me as much as participating in the body of believers. It is so worth it. Like, if you don't believe me, believe the Bible. If you don't believe the Bible, uh, I want to talk to you. But believe me, I guess. I don't know. Um, The church is worth it. The church is so worth it. Um, I want to end with this uh, text. Um, Grace actually read it for us at our leaders meeting. Um, We were talking about these different habits and rhythms of how we gather together and know each other. Um, It's just been on my mind since then. So Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Close your eyes. I don't know if that's weird for you. Just do it. I'm going to read this over you. Starting in verse 19. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since you have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, he has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. And since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for the church, uh, how you've created it, that you've designed us to live in the church, um, that you have given us the body to help us grow up in you. 
that you have um, given us older believers to show us the way, um, to encourage us with what is true, that you've given us spiritual gifts to bless the body, and that you've given us the church to be a gift to us as we're known and know others. Father, I pray that um, it would be so natural that out of our love for you and looking at the gospel, being reminded of who you are and what you've done, that a commitment to the church would flow out of that. Father, that we would love the things that you love and you love your bride, the church. Father, I pray that we would not neglect to meet together, but that we would encourage each other as we serve alongside each other, as we take communion together, as we sit under the teaching of God's word, as we confess and repent to each other. Father, I pray that you would grow us up in our faith, that we would be steadfast and movable in the truth. And it is for your glory and by your power that I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.